Well, on Sunday mornings for the past five weeks, we've been in this series, Untold. And this has been a fun series for me. It's been a series that I have enjoyed walking through and working through. And this morning, we come to an end with it. And for the past five weeks, we've kind of looked to unlock some untold sides of famous biblical characters and situations to find the compassionate heart of God that extends both grace and mercy to the broken individuals in which he chooses to use. And five weeks ago, we looked at God's righteousness through the story of Noah. And in doing so, we analyzed how the compassionate heart of God really extended his favor of righteousness to Noah and making him righteousness, making him righteous because of his faith alone. Righteousness is a gift extended to us through the favor of God and not something that we do or earn on our own. And then four weeks ago, we looked at this untied untold side of God's mercy through the story of Moses and how even though he's insecure and he's always got these weaknesses and insecurities and doubts and and his brokenness rules his life, Moses continually experiences God's mercy time and time again, including with the people that he leads. Now three weeks ago we looked at the untold sides of, of Joshua. Through Joshua we looked how God invites us and equips us to live into his promise. And last week, Abigail looked at the untold side of God's compassion from the story of Deborah. She looked at how God used an unlikely candidate to create and lead a healthier culture for his people. This week, we look at the untold side of the heart of God by looking at the story of David. Now, undoubtedly, David is probably one of the most famous biblical characters throughout the Old Testament. David wore many shoes throughout his life. You know, David was born as the youngest son in a family of eight. He was born into an era in which God's people are really struggling to find their identity. They're really struggling to find their purpose, their place, and their priorities. Besides being good-looking in the Scriptures, we learn that David is really just this young, young, scrawny, red-faced kid who lives in the shadows of his older brothers, watches a few sheep, and plays a harp. In these early years, we might say he was more of a band nerd or a nerd than he was any king material. It's not who we think of when we think of one of the greatest kings. However, we quickly witness and learn how these experiences will differentiate David, how they're going to set him apart. And he's going to be set apart with wisdom and wit and might and maturity. And despite his good attributes, though, David is also a very broken guy. One author says, David is the perfect portrait of both success and failure. David is the perfect portrait of success and failure. In addition to using his position for good, we know that David also uses his power to conquer, to survive with the enemy, and to take powerful advantage of Bathsheba. And then if that isn't enough, David even uses his power to kill off her husband to hide his wrongdoing. It's this broken story of David, though, that I can really believe teaches us to be attentive to God's heart. We are actually going to pick up David's story, not in the Old Testament this morning, but in the New Testament, by looking at Acts 13, 16 through 23. And it will be on the screen in front of you. And in this passage, 
let me just set the background for it. Paul is on this missional journey. He's just kind of showed up at this, this church that was led by prophets and teachers rather than pastors, and they send him out on a mission. They pray over him. The Holy Spirit comes. He, they send him out into mission, and Paul's beginning to go from town to town, and he ends up in this town on Sabbath, and so what he does is he walks into the synagogue, and he sits down for worship. And the teachers in the synagogue read from the law and the prophets, as was customary, to, and as also was customary in this era, they notice that there's a guest in their midst. This is not a great welcome strategy, and so it's good we don't do this, but they notice there's a guest in their, their midst, and they recognize that it's somebody of great learning, and so they invite Paul to share a prophetic word or exhortation. The leaders of the synagogue notice him and put him on the spot. I don't think guests would enjoy that in today's culture quite like they would in the Jewish culture. And in many ways, uh, what we see Paul do with this invitation to share a prophetic word or an exhortation is exactly what we've been doing for the past five weeks. He stands up, he kind of motions with his hand, he stands up and he recounts Jewish history by looking at some of the most pivotal points in their history, some of the most memorable stories, and he begins to paint it in a new light, teaching them the heart of God and how that brought about Jesus. So we're going to pick up there this morning, Acts 13, 16 through 23. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel choose our ancestors. He made, them people, he made his people prosper during the stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of the country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving that land to his people as their inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Gish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. Now God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do from this man's descendants. God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Now here's Paul, and he's standing up in a synagogue, and he recounts their history. And in it, he mentions that David is this man after the heart of God. Right from the start, we are faced with this testimony from God that has declared David a man after God's own heart. Now, for those of us that know David's story, those of us who have seen how David has leveraged his power at times for control, it's hard for us to qualify this statement. How do we qualify a statement that David was a man after God's own heart when we see him use his leverage, his power, to call a woman off a rooftop into his house? Now, first to understand this idea, it's probably worth noting that the word for heart in this passage is the Greek word cardia. So when we think about science around the heart, we think of cardiac, uh, car, yeah, I can't even speak today, We think of uh, cardiology as well as cardiac consultants and doctors. And despite the similarities in these words, cardia in its 800 times of use throughout the Bible never ever refers to the actual muscle that pumps blood and keeps us alive. In its 800 uses in the Bible, it 
even though it's a noun, is never used as a noun. It is always used figuratively. Cardia is defined in the Greek as what's truly in the heart or what's truly in your mind, what is truly your character, your inner self, your will, your attention. In the Greek idea of this, and as well as in the Jewish culture, it meant to be an effective center of our being. It was an effective center of our being. Instead of saying you are what you eat, we might as well say in this context, you are more of what's in your heart than what you do. So as we look at this passage that God testified that David was a man after his own heart, it might be a little better to word it like this. God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man pursuing after my own intentions and will. He is willing to do everything I want him to do. Saying that he's pursuing God's intentions, not his own. One way, one wrong way to read this passage would be to believe that David then was perfect, or David himself was a pawn of God's use. He was not totally in God's control. Just because David was usually in pursuit of God's intentions and will doesn't mean David was perfect and never in pursuit of anything else. Like you and I, David had the ability to make his own choices. However, what made David different than everyone else at his time was that he put God's heart and God's interest and God's intentions way in front of his own, for the most part. Out of 150 psalms, over half of them are accredited to David. And as we read throughout them, we see that David, through various seasons of his life, develops this intimacy with God. So in First and Second Samuel, we see a record of David's actions, what he did. But throughout the Psalms, we can truly see David's heart. We see where he was. We see what he was intimate with. When we see a deep identity in God's presence, a deep quest for forgiveness, and a repentance of wrong. In this passage from Acts 13, when Paul highlights David as a man, God's own heart, he was also actually referencing a verse that is in the Old Testament that they would have known very well. It was a very important passage to them. When Paul highlights David as a man after God's own heart, he is referring to 1 Samuel 13. And in this passage, the prophet Samuel is standing before King Saul and he's telling him, look, you've run the kingdom into the ground. Your leadership is done. Let's listen in. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel the prophet said. You have not kept the commandment the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man of his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Here again, we see that that God testifies that David is a man after his own heart. Now, cardia is not the word for heart here. Interestingly enough, because 1 Samuel was written in Hebrew, the word here is lawbarb. And even though it looks like the word al, it is not. The word is lawbarb. And simply defined, that word means to be tenderhearted, to be understanding, to have a great will, to have moral character, or even to experience intimate inner emotions and passions. 
Perhaps we could then understand 1 Samuel better translated as this. The Lord has sought out a man after God's own emotions and feelings and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul, you are a king who loves to be in command. Saul, you are a king who loves to have the ability to command people. But guess what, Saul? Regardless, even though you had a prophet named Samuel whispering in your ear and delivering God's commandments to you, you couldn't get it right. Well, now your time is finished. God wants something better. He wants more than a commandment follower. The next person God has in mind actually desires to know God's heart, his intentions, his emotions. God wants more than commandment followers. God desires people that want to have their hearts broken for what breaks his. God wants people that, despite their brokenness, have uh, a heart that intimately wants to lay its head on the Father's chest and listen to what makes him tick. The question for us, like David is, are we more centered on knowing what makes God's heart tick, or are we more like Saul, just desiring to meet and live out his commandments, the minimum of what he requires? Saul only wanted the commandments, and he couldn't even get that part right. David wanted more, and that is why God chooses him. That's why God seeks him out. It's why God honors him, because at the core of who David was, he wants to know God's heart. John Golding, an Old Testament scholar, explains this passage like this. God will seek for himself a man that he has decided on. Translations conventionally have a man after God's own heart, which is entirely accurate, but is inclined to mislead readers. The English expression sounds as if it applies someone who has the kind of character that pleases God, even someone whose own heart matches God's heart. Actually, it needs to mean only someone whom God's heart is set on, someone who God chooses. Saul had been such a person, and God is now going to decide on somebody else. The man after God's own heart is, of course, David. And he will indeed be someone who will keep a steadfast commitment to Yahweh rather than to other gods. Unlike many of his successors, but he will hardly be a man after God's own heart in the sense of someone who respects, who, who other respects lives the kind of life God looks for or who has a heart like God's. The Moody Bible Commentary explains both these passages in this way. A man after God's own heart is a man chosen by God, and therefore a man who has God's interest at his heart. Such a person is prepared to let the Lord's will, as spoken by his prophet, be the guide of their life. Now the condition of the heart, as it relates to God's heart, has always been the most important thing to God. Let me say that again. The condition of our heart, as it relates to God's heart, has always been the most important thing. Thing. And throughout many stories of God's judgment, we find these, these verses that tell us that God looked into the heart of man and he found not love for God in his ways, but rather he found self-centeredness and evil. However, in his time of David, Israel had failed to keep their condition of their hearts in check. And actually, we see Israel becomes disgruntled with the heart of God. They do not want to live by faith and serve the heart of God. And so this disgruntled Israel approaches the prophet Samuel and tells him, 
give us a king to lead us. Give us a king. We don't, we don't want to live by God's heart anymore, you telling us what's on God's heart. That's, that, I mean, I understand that's what you do as a prophet, but that's not the way we want to live. We want a king. Well, Samuel first takes us to be very personal. They're questioning his leadership in his mind. Why? What am I doing that's not good enough for God's people? And he goes to the Lord about it, and he cries out to them, and he says, um, Lord, uh, these people want a king. I'm not living up to their expectations. And the Lord responds to Samuel on the spot, and he says, It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king in their heart. It's not your leadership they rejected, Samuel. They've rejected me in their heart as their king. In their heart, they didn't want to be a different type of people. They wanted to be like other nations. They didn't want to depend on God as their king. They wanted a king that they could put their expectations on. Samuel tries to convince them that they're going to lose what they have and who they are if they go this way. Guys, you don't want to go that way. I mean, and he goes through this whole thing. He's like, you know, they're going to enlist your son into the military. They're going to force him to war. And then you're going to cry out and not like what you've got. And God's going to ignore you because you chose this way. Soon as he's done explaining this to them, they look at Samuel and they tell him, give us a king. So God honors it. Out of his love, God grants them a king. He gives them Saul. And the story of Saul is interesting. We, we watch Saul come from this place where he's actually wandering out and looking for some lost donkeys. And he realizes that there's a prophet up on the hill. And he says, hey, you know, I don't know where my donkeys are, but if we don't find them soon, my dad's going to worry about me. So let's go up to the prophet and ask him, you know, hey, where my donkeys are. Because at this time, in addition to judges, the prophet had such an office that any little thing you kind of needed help with, you went and processed it with the prophet. And so Saul walks up the hill, and he says, hey, I'm looking for these donkeys. And in that spot, God tells prophet Samuel, that guy is the king. They wanted a king. That's the guy they're getting. However, what we see happen after that is that Samuel anoints him, gives him the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanders down the hill. He instantly finds his lost donkeys. And then he's headed home, and he finds these musicians that are parading around and prophesying. And uh, he, did, he joins in with them, and even Saul himself begins to prophesy. And Paul, I mean, Saul has experienced this great move of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's been anointed to be a king, but unfortunately, his heart wasn't in a right place. Like the people he leads, Saul lives a life full of inconsistency. His heart grows to be more and more self-centered. For example, one time, Saul says, hey, we need to purify the kingdom, and so we are going to kick out all of the witches, all of the occult stuff. We are going to kick out anybody that's practicing divination. And then the minute that Saul finds himself in a bind, he dresses in plain clothes so that nobody knows that he's a king, and he seeks out a witch and asks her to bring up a spirit from death. Inconsistent. Well, God has had enough. He pulls his hand and his favor off Saul. And the prophet Samuel warns him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors. 
to one better than you. And then we see this. The Lord was grieved that he had made Saul the king over Israel. Samuel then is given the charge of finding the next king. And Samuel is sure he knows what traits are going to make a good king. He begins to look at these people that are before him, and he sees these big warrior type of guys, and he's sure, okay, I know the Lord's going to pick one of these guys to be the next king. There's no way the next king is not in this group. And in that spot, the Lord challenges Samuel, and he says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Whoever you're looking at, Samuel, I've rejected. The Lord does not look at the thing man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, it comes down to this condition of the heart. The condition of our heart, as it relates to God's heart, has always been the most important thing to God. So God shows the prophet Samuel that, hey, the next king is not in this group, but it's actually this young, red-faced shepherd boy who has the heart of a person who is concerned with God's heart. So Samuel sends for him. Samuel hears from God, and so he takes the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David in power. From that moment that the prophet picked up this horn of oil and put it to David's head, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now, if you experience the power of the Holy Spirit coming over you, it changes you no matter what your theological understanding is. However, instead of using this special anointing to his advantage, the next thing that we see David do is what? Does he, does he fight for his rule? No. Does he, does he use his special anointing to make money? No. David goes back to his sheep. Hey, it's great. You said I'm going to be the next king, and thanks for putting oil on my head, but I'm a shepherd. David just goes back to his sheep. God wants a king that had his heart concerned with God's heart. And he wanted David to model this for his people. It's here that God devises two situations to bring David out of watching the sheep. It's, he devises two situations to kind of undermine Samuel's power. I mean, uh, David's pa- uh, Saul's power and allow David's heart to set him apart from those around him. First, God uses a demonic spirit, and then he uses David against an oppressive giant. The first situation that God devised to differentiate David was, Paul, was Saul's demonic spirit. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says, Now, because the rule of, of Saul had ended, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. God had taken his hand, his favor off Saul. Saul had been too inconsistent, he was not living the life, and he literally takes his hand off Saul. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. We have learned that because of David's God-honoring heart, he was anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit, and that anointing empowered David. The Holy Spirit powerfully empowered what was in David's heart to permeate throughout the rest of his life. What was in David's heart now permeated the rest of his life. And King Saul finds himself without the hand of God on his life, and as a result, this evil spirit is allowed to torment Saul. Saul is driven into anxiety, he's driven into depression, he's kind of become this recluse, and the spirit literally physically attacks him. However, because of David's anointing and worshipful heart, 
Whenever he plays the harp, the demonic spirit is forced to leave Saul. So in the fields, somehow watching the sheep, David has learned to be even more intimate with God's heart. And with this situation, he showed Saul and he shows us that there's no denying when God's favor is on somebody's hand, heart. The second and final situation God devises to bring David power, to bring him out of the sheep, and to show his heart is through the story of David and Goliath. Now this morning, in the last few minutes I have left, I want to briefly talk about this story that we know well, this children's story that we have told and celebrated. It's not only one of the best-known stories in the Bible, it's also one of the longest. And we don't have time to read it all. And so since it's a story that we all know well, I'm only going to pull out a few of the verses of this passage to highlight this morning. Verses that I think show us the condition of David's heart. This morning, as we look at this, this is a story of an uprising against God's people by the Philistines. They are strong warriors that are opposing God's people. They have the biggest and the boldest warrior, Goliath. And his size alone scares the whole army back into their camp. That is to a little shepherd boy who comes along, echoing the story of a little boy named Jesus that will one day shepherd the world. Now, in this story of David and Goliath, we see the condition of Israel's heart. We see David's heart for God's interest. We see the power of David's anointing. We see his imperfect heart, as well as David's confidence in God. Now, just as a side note, I don't know about you, but whenever I think of the story of David and Goliath, my mind goes back to this television show. How many people remember this television show? Davy and Goliath, right? It's a story of this. It was on TV from the 70s up through, uh, I believe, the late 90s. And it's a story of this mundane dog whose name is Goliath. And he's got a little boy that he travels around with named Davy. And for some reason, they always have to get in these situations that look to discover the heart of God so that they can overcome obstacles. Now, if you remember the dog, he always talked like this. Hey, Davy, I think God wants... Do you guys remember that? So whenever I hear the story of David and Goliath, I automatically begin to think about this old show. And in many ways, the story of David and Goliath teaches us to discover God's heart in giant situations to overcome obstacles in our own life. This is a story like the other passages we've looked at in our series. It's one of our favorite children's stories. It's one that we've made safe and we've made tame and cute. However, if we were honest with ourselves, David and Goliath is really a bloody, a sad, and a dark tale. And in it, God's people are faced with a violent trouble in their backyard because they didn't live into God's heart for them. It isn't a story of celebration. It's really a story of sadness. They missed God's heart, and so God allowed violence to come upon them. Now, I I don't remember how Naomi heard the full story of David and Goliath when she was about two, but somehow she heard it, and she didn't think much of it. But about a week later, we were playing with the dog, and our dog likes to rip heads off stuffed animals of his, and he began to carry the head around the room, kind of parading it. And I will never forget that Naomi just looked at me and she said, it's kind of like Xander is David and he's carrying around the, tri- the trophy of, of the giant's head. And I was like, what? okay, so that, you know the whole story, right? We've made this story cute. We haven't done a really good job at telling the whole story. 
Traditionally, when we talk about David and Goliath, we talk about it in three major ways. How God uses the meek to defy the might, how God moved a boy to take down a giant, and then we look at all the features of, the, of Goliath and kind of explain the symbolism of what is meant and how much the shields weigh and all that kind of stuff. Or we talk about what it means to slay the giants in our life. This morning, though, I want to see how God used this encounter, this situation, to differentiate David in his story by confidently showing that his heart was concerned with God's heart. Now, first we see in this story the condition of Israel's heart. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, and I hope not, but you may not be able to identify with parts of this story. So Goliath stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man to have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day, when no one comes to him, he says, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let me fight. Let's fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, if you've ever been in a fight, sometimes what happens is when you, you experience tension with somebody and then everyone's friends is getting involved, and eventually someone has to say, look, look, let's settle the fight just you and me. This is just between you and me. And that kind of idea was very common in this era. And so what would happen is a lot of times you would train one warrior to be much better than everyone else, and you could get into these situations like, hey, instead of uh, us coming over there and killing you, and you coming over and killing us, let's just send out our best warriors and let them battle and solve it for us. Only if wars could be fought the, that way today, right? So it was very common at that era. So the giant comes out. He, he yells this. Now in this story, it says that God's people retreat in fear. One man standing on a hill yelling is enough to take a whole army and move them into retreat. In this story, God's people have retreated in fear because they have allowed fear to take over their heart. And fear is very much an issue related to the condition of the heart. The sad part is that God's people cowered on the spot. God has walked with them through thick and thin. He's provided for them time and time again. He's poured his mercy out through the exile, through their captivity. But because of their condition of their heart, they aren't able to realize that. They have no confidence. And rather than trust God once again, they give in to being dismayed and terrified. Now, as a result of their heart condition, one single, big, bold, bad Goliath warrior was able to undermine the hand of God on his people. One guy, by challenging them, aren't you? Aren't you guys Saul's kids? I mean, and isn't he God's kid? I'm, I'm defying all of you. None of you have what it takes to get me a Philistine. Now, we also see that Israel had no interest in what God's heart thought on the matter because when they get feared, we see this. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Now the word defy here, if you would look it up, it actually means to be exposed by stripping. Taking paint off a wall, it's that kind of defy. They realize that this singular man has literally exposed their hearts and their vulnerabilities by stripping the hand of God from their people. 
no one approached to defend the honor of God. Saul is embarrassed by their warriors, so the king tries to leverage them with wealth and money, but still no one approaches them. Their concern isn't for God. Their concern is, do you see how he makes us look like fools? They're defi- he is defying Israel in their mindset. They're not thinking about what God looks like in this situation. And the king realizes that he looks like a fool. His warriors aren't able to, to march forward. And so he tries to leverage people with money. And we all know that most people, if they aren't able to be motivated by honor, they will be motivated by money. Yes? Not in this case. The Israelites were more concerned that they look like fools than they were with undermining the hand of God's protection on them. The king was more concerned with how defiled he looked and how, than how God looked. Then comes small David. He comes hiking onto the battlefield, carrying cheese and bread to his brothers. And here we see David is concerned with God's heart alone. Because as we look at 1 Samuel 17, 26, we read this. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes that disgrace from Israel? Who is, on, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Instantly we see the difference. David is confused and concerned that this non-Jew, this non-hand of God experienced individual, is able to show up God's people. He literally says, who is this guy? Who is this guy that, I mean, he's uncircumcised. How is he standing there and disgracing us? Because you guys are letting him strip the dignity from the armies of the living God. His concern isn't how Israel looks. His concern is how God looks. And instantly, David's heart isn't concerned with it, of how Israel looks. His heart is concerned with God's heart and how their ba- behavior does not honor Yahweh. Even in this story, though, we witness that David didn't always have a perfect heart. Did you notice that if you've read this on your own this week, when we look at the story of David and as he approaches his brother, we see that his brothers quickly point out David's true heart. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. David, you got, you've got a perverted heart. You just want to come down and see this bloody, gory mess. Now David says, what have I done? Can I even speak? And then he turned to somebody else because he's mad at his brother. So he, he turns to another guy and says, hey, uh, and instantly we see the same thing. And the scripture says he turned away to someone else and that person brought up the same matter and the men answered him as saying before, David, go home. Aren't you supposed to be watching sheep? We know your heart. It's not really a good heart. David is a man after my own heart, says God. But here, when he interacts with his brothers, his brothers see a different side of David. It doesn't mean David was perfect. It means David's overarching theme of his life was concerned with the heart of God. And in this story, David is truly acting out of interest in God's heart. And lastly, we see David's confidence in God. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David enters the scene with no fear. He's been anointed. He has spent years in the, in the fields watching sheep and in the intimacy of the Lord's presence. It's in that era that we probably see him write Psalm 23. David is not afraid of what will happen because he has confidence in his anointing. He has seen the Lord's hand on his life. He has seen how the Lord has protected him before and has always looked after him. And it's going to be no different on this battlefield because he knows that if he honors God and looks to honor God, God will be with him and God will protect him. And there's no way this uncircumcised dude will win. The new Bible commentary revised says this. Once again, David stresses that he is acting as a champion, not so much for Israel, but as for God himself. The condition of our heart as it relates to God's heart has always been the most important thing to God. David knew this, and that's why despite his brokenness, he experiences both fruitfulness in his life and this testimony from God that says, he is a man after my own heart. Now, like us, David was a very broken guy. And at the core of his heart, as we see throughout the Psalms, David is an individual who's concerned with God's interest and his intentions. Not just his commandments, he wants to intimately know God. Now, are we concerned with meeting the commandments of God in the margins of our life and living our lives in the majors? Or despite our brokenness, are we willing to follow God, not just his commandments, but also to develop intimacy with a father that longs and looks to see how the heart of God ticks? The condition of our heart, as it relates to God's heart, has always been the most important thing to God. And this morning, this is something we need to understand deep in our identity so that we can move forward with God with confidence, like David, and not with fear. When I watch baseball with my girls, I don't want them to watch baseball with me because I command them to. I want them to come to me and watch baseball with me because they are taking interest in me. I love when my girls climb up my lap, lay their heads on my chest, and watch baseball with me because they want to. In the same way, when I watch baseball, I don't want to watch a baseball player that just knows how to play baseball good. I want to watch somebody that knows how to play baseball from their heart. They have a heart of a baseball player. There's also the same as true in blues music. We were at the event last night. Right? There's always a blues musician who can copycat the skills of a blues person very well, but it's not their heart. When somebody plays from their heart, they're a completely different person. In the same way, God wants us to be concerned with his heart as much as his, concern, his commandments. God wants to be able to speak over us. Man, that East Petersburg Mennonite church is a church that's really concerned in seeking after my heart, seeking after my intentions, after my interests. This morning, I think the Lord's inviting us to respond to this passage by finding more ways to move from just being commandment follower to intimate lover. And as the worship team Actually, we're going to be closed out with a, a song here in a minute. As we get ready for that, ask the Lord to break your heart for what breaks his. Lord, I want to do more than just follow your commandments. I actually want to know your heart, and I want to have my heart broken for what breaks yours. And, and I invite you to confess to the Lord that, hey, I have been more concerned with my own interests at times than what makes your heart tick. Invite him to reshape the condition of your heart to be one that cares about God's interests and intentions.
I also invite you to blueprint ways to spend more time with him so you move forward in the same confidence that David did. Now, may you go this morning after this song hearing the Lord say, man, he, man, she, man, you are a person after my own heart. You are a guy after my own heart. You are a lady after my own heart. Because at the end of the day, you want to do more than just follow my commands. You actually have interest in what I have interest in. And that is the thing that made David so different. Even though he made mistakes, like us, he was concerned with God's heart. As we close out this morning, the worship team has picked a song that they want us to to, uh, listen to. And so I encourage you just to close your eyes to listen to this song and to enter into a place of meditation with the Lord, asking him to reveal more of his heart to you.